Hey bosses, before we get started, I want to let you know that this week's guests, Mark and Julie, are hosting a virtual summit called Hit the Road. It's an RV summit with all the info about RV life, full-time travel, and they have 14 different RV experts. And best of all, it's virtual, so you can watch it from anywhere, and it is completely free to register. So you can get your free ticket, watch all the videos for free, live June 16th, 2020. Just go to nomadsummit.com slash RV to use my link to register. And if you're listening after June 16th, don't worry, they're going to have some replay options available. Just go to nomadsummit.com slash RV. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 249 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm really excited. Today's guests are Mark and Julie Bennett from RV Love and the best-selling authors of Living the RV Life. Welcome to the show. Hey Johnny, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited. So just to kind of give everyone a a backdrop, where are you guys located now? We're currently in at an RV park called Garden of the Gods RV Resort in Colorado Springs, Colorado, United States. <laughs> no, I had to throw that in there because I know you have an international audience. Yeah, I actually, I, I think if you just said Colorado Springs, I know maybe some people have heard of it, but a lot of a lot of travelers and international folks might not have. Exactly. Yeah, it's a big tourist area. You know, there's a lot of really fun things here, like Pikes Peak. You can drive to the top of a 14,000-foot mountain here and... There's a bunch of cool touristy stuff around Down at the God's Park next door, these yeah. beautiful rock formations. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and can you see the mountains from where you're at? We can. In fact, we can even see Pikes Peak. So, And it's covered in snow today. Even though it's nice and warm down here and at the more at the mile high level, at, right at the top of the mountain is solid white this morning. So it was really pretty. Mm. Love that as a backdrop. This is a beautiful part of the country, and we... We've seen a lot of the country after six years of full-time RVing. Yeah, that is amazing. And I'm embarrassed to say that I've been to over 50 countries, but I've only been to a handful of states. I've barely seen the U.S., even though I was born and raised there. Hey, I think it's way more impressive to be in 50 countries than 50 states. That's uh, that's pretty awesome, if you ask me, Johnny. As you probably can tell from the accent, Johnny, I'm Australian, and I married an American here, Mark, who grew up in Colorado. But he realized that he hadn't seen much of the United States himself either, which is when... uh... Well, that was when it was actually really confronting for me because I'd done some business travel over the years. But then we went to Australia to visit a lot of Julie's friends and family and realized that a lot of her friends and family had seen more of the United States than I had from living on the other side of the world. And so I thought, that's got to change. That's when we started putting a lot more effort into adding more travel and mobility into our life and that's what started this down the road uh, literally and figuratively into this rv lifestyle yeah i definitely get it and i've been i have this weird obsession with following van lifers which now have turned into rv lifers on youtube while i'm sitting in you know chiang mai thailand for example and just daydreaming about what that life would be like and it's funny because i think we always want something different you know i think at a, at a certain stage you know i'm gonna not want to travel around with just my carry-on only luggage anymore get on a plane and try to squeeze it into the the overhead bin i'm gonna want to be able to travel with my stuff and be able to see you know a lot of my home country, you know, because there is so much to see in the U.S. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, the United States is filled with amazing things to see. The landscape here is truly amazing. And But what I'm, what I'm impressed, and I can totally see what you're saying there, living out of a backpack, where if you move into a van, 
that feels gigantic compared to compared to a backpack with all this stuff you can carry with an actual van as a van lifer. We're at a whole other end of that spectrum too. You know, as an RVer, we have a forty foot long um, diesel pusher motorhome and we tow a car behind it, so we can carry. It's like a moving house. It's a it's it's as big as a lot of New York apartments and stuff like that. But it's about three hundred and thirty square feet. Yeah, but the vans are really cool because they're so mobile. They're so versatile, and you take it your with with you everywhere. In fact, some of our friends that have vans, they they have told us they actually get a little separation anxiety when they don't have their van nearby because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're so used to having everything in their life right there at every moment. So mm. I think that's. Uh, but that's, like I said, that's going to be a big increase in size uh, when you have a whole van instead of the backpack and you won't have to deal with tsa anymore <laughs> right <laughs> yeah well you know what's funny is a tsa is only terrible in the u.s <laughs> actually like flying to random countries is so much easier than going from san francisco to los angeles in the same state yeah that uh-huh. is very true actually yeah we've done a lot of air travel in the united states as well but uh, we actually just did a 34-day tri- trip. We left our, our motorhome that we live in in Arizona. And we flew to Florida, rented an RV, drove around Florida for two weeks in an RV, flew to Austin, rented another RV, and then tooled around Texas for two weeks and then flew back to our to our motorhome in, uh, mm. in Phoenix. We got home, we're like, oh, it's, we had super fun time in the rental RVs and exploring those other states in much more smaller, nimble vehicles. But getting back home, we were so glad not to get on an aircraft again, I think, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see that. And three, I, I looked, looked it up. 330 square feet is 30 square meters, which is almost the size of my my condo when I was living in Thailand. I think I the it was maybe oh, wow. 34 square meters. So it was almost the size. So, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize how luxurious and how spacious some of these RVs can be. Oh, absolutely. And ours even isn't even the biggest. And we have some friends who have RVs that tip up real close to 500 square feet so some of them can get rather large very comfortable this one's very comfortable especially we did a major renovation on this uh, about a year and a half ago and it it looks like a high-end luxury apartment it's got marble tile and but we did it on a beer bottle budget we did do it on an expensive (laughs) budget luckily i'm fairly handy was able to do a lot of that myself and uh, Mm, we had some helping hands with some friends so it was a big team effort. Big team effort, yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, and if you guys want to see the photos of it, uh, I'll have them in the show notes. I'll have a link to the YouTube channel. Just look for RV Love. But it, it is gorgeous. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably use that image as the, the cover because it really is that beautiful. Oh, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Well, we actually found, found a bit of trivia. It was just in a, an apartment therapy contest and voting just closed yesterday. So... So it's a shame we didn't still have the contest though. <laughs> <laughs> We're now sitting on the edge of our season. Did we make the finalist in the tiny category? Well, I guess we'll find out this week. Cross yeah. your fingers for us. All right. I love it. So I want to give everyone kind of a background on how I even found RV life and RV love and you guys. I've been just researching and, you know, daydreaming about van life, you know, the kind of popular Instagram hashtag and YouTube hashtag for years now. And I kept you know, looking at all these different builds and trying to decide how do I want to, you know, you know, customize or build my, my van, you know, where am I going to do it? You know, it takes people six months to a year to build. I don't have any tools. I don't have a place to, to do it. And I think if I lived in the U.S. and 
and you know my dad was handy and had all the tools that that would make sense but as someone who would transition from being a digital nomad and living overseas to going back and just trying to jump into it i just didn't have that time so i started looking at you know the the used market to buy and i realized for about the same amount of money to buy a used you know van life conversion i can just buy a you know either slightly used or maybe even a brand new rv a class b which is almost is you know basically the same size and that's when i realized there are lots of pros of just going the rv route and i was wondering like why are the two communities so different it's like it's like they don't even speak to each other that, that's yeah, true. That's it cool. is true. And but that's interesting. I I think it's cool that you had that realization because I think a lot of people get excited about doing their own van builds and they do they like the idea of having it custom. They think they can do it affordably and but the RVs if you buying them properly or buy it buy them right, they'll be more well equipped and you know without having the tanks. I mean, you can build a you can build a ghetto RV by yourself, you know, just throwing some really basic stuff in it. But or you to have can go all plumbing, out. We've had some friends yeah, that some build friends, some vans, and they're really yeah. We have vans. some friends that do full custom stuff that Beautiful. cost you know two hundred thousand dollars for a van. Um, but we've seen in the other end of the spectrum where people just do very basic builds. And there's actually in the RV space, there's a couple RV, there's a couple conversion companies now that are building kits that you can actually put into a van. You just buy the panel van and then buy the kit. And then just insert it, and they're modulars. You can actually remove them and use the van as a like a construction vehicle or something if you needed to on the off days. But you would be looking like you would be transitioning to where you'd be living in it extensively, so you'd have a setup that's more permanent. Vans that are already built from an RV manufacturer are definitely better for that. But like you said, like we were saying, the um, vans and RVs they can be very different subcultures for sure. Uh, a lot of the van van life folks they like the the stealth camping they like the ability to go anywhere they want and be very stealthy not pay for campgrounds and not needing hookups they will spend a lot of nights in like a gym parking lot that's a real popular place for them to hang out because then they can use the showers and the of the 24-hour gym you know that's a really popular thing for the van lifers where with our large RV, it's, we're not very stealthy. We <laughs> we <laughs> we can't stealthy. hide very well, so we don't do a lot of that style. We we do, however, do some boondocking, you know, out in open land because that's a big advantage that we have over the vanners is because the van life folks usually have very limited water capacity, very limited power capacity, and so if they go out into open land, they usually only can stay for a few days comfortably. Where we have big water tanks we have huge solar and lithium battery systems we can go two or three weeks without connecting and without even running a generator and with our water and that's taking showers every day that's feeling very comfortable washing so, dishes every washing day. dishes and cooking and so there's different pros and cons we we spend some of our time in campgrounds and some of our time in just open land and that open land percentage has been growing over the years now that we've had a much more off-grid capable rig yeah, I could definitely see that. And and I think a lot of it is really just weighing the the pros and cons of of each. So, let's let's quickly talk about the the different classes of vans because I think a lot of people listening to this might not, you know, really understand that there are it, it's a huge difference between like a class A and a and a class B van. So, what are you guys in now? We're in a class A motorhome. So, it's it's the ones that look kind of like a bus. You know, they're it's it's over eight feet wide and it's 40 feet long and it has little slide out ours has one but some of them have four slide out walls that make the rv expand 
a true class B is on an actual van chassis. There's no there's no wider body, no taller part of the body. It's just the actual original structure of the van as the exterior. Um, and then there's also what some people have been calling an E+, which is in between a B and a C, which is not the way you do grades. Or but it is the way <laughs> yeah, they sometimes call them wide-body Bs, and they're using a van chassis, but they have a, a wider or taller body that adds significant living space inside. And we really like those Class B pluses because they um, have a, a lot more living space, even though... Wow, that was, is that an airplane? Johnny? <laughs> it's, a tra- it's a train going by, but yeah, go ahead and continue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's wow. cool. That's all good. Well, so that Glass B+, plus, what's cool is you can still park those in a regular parking spot, but they're not as stealthy as a true Class B van. True Class B vans are very stealthy because people think they're just a regular van, a commuter vehicle, and so that's why you can get away with parking them just about anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Class Cs that are sometimes built on a van chassis, sometimes a truck chassis, but they have the what looks the back of it doesn't look well integrated with the front. It looks like they just dropped a RV house part on the back of a van chassis. Because they did. Because that's pretty much what they did. <laughs> it's yeah. like those rental RVs that see driving around. I don't know if you've seen them. Very common in national parks and the really popular tourist destinations. Where mm-hmm. It'll be like a Cruise America or you know Road Beer, and they're everywhere in the national parks. Yeah, they're very, lot, very. Um, they're not stealthy. They're not stealthy, <laughs> and so that's the pros and cons. You know, you just got to really be true to yourself and, and ask yourself a lot of questions on how you want to travel and what you, what is the highest value to you and julie and i work full-time from rv and so and we live in it and so we spend significant time in the rv not just out traveling and exploring and um so it's important for us to have a large comfortable home um that we can have enough space to have a separate work environment from our living environment and things like that but People who are more don't work as many hours or retired or or free or willing to work outside or in a laptop or really like working from coffee shops and being versatile. Well, like a being smaller, more minimalist than us. <laughs> or being much more minimalist than us. Yeah, vans are have a lot of pros. And uh, but again, it just depends on where you plan on staying and um, how you plan on traveling. And as long as you ask yourself a lot of important questions ahead of time, you'll make a really good decision. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And, and I remember kind of swaying back and forth between like the, the, the two extremes. On one extreme, I was thinking, wow, you know what? I'm used to living out of a, you know, a 60 liter duffel bag, you know, literally a 25 you know, uh, pound carry on. I can go as small as maybe an NV200 Nissan um, camper, which I mean, not a camper, a van. And it's like basically a minivan that's the size of a Toyota Camry. And I can park anywhere and nobody would ever know I'm in there. You know, this company called Recon Campers does this conversion where, you know, when uh, I can do a pop top. So when I'm out in, you know, in, in kind of uh, a campground in the middle nowhere i can you know be able to stand up they all come with a kitchen and a fold down bed and i thought yeah this could work but when i really started thinking about it more i realized it's going to be a very tight space i mean it's it's like living in a, a car like in a, in a honda element a car right yeah and it's it's possible it's stealthy it's easy to drive you know i can literally have that as my full-time vehicle and not have to worry about it but at the same time it, it I, I think it's one of those things that it sounds possible until you do it and you realize you know there's a lot of trade-offs with that. Well, you know, it's a really good idea, Johnny, is to rent one. I mean, this, there's so many options now. Like we talked about rental RVs before, those rental companies with the big branded 
uh, <laughs> big branded national park images going down the highway, but there is actually a whole uh, private rental market. Like Airbnbs is where you can rent somebody's home or apartment. You can rent an RV that belongs to an RV owner. And so you get a lot more variety, a lot more uh, types of RVs to choose from. And you might look at even something like a truck camper would be cool too because then you can really mm. take that out and, you know, you could even take the the camper off the bed of the truck if ever you want to do. Or mm. tons um, of options. Yeah, yeah, they can be pretty spacious now. Um, we have some friends that just took uh, theirs to Alaska, and they had two dogs. So there's four of them that for six months. Mm-hmm. And that so that's you know two 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 big dogs and two humans. And if you're a solo traveler, I mean you can get by with something much smaller. But we really had a great experience renting the two RVs that we did in January and February. And even though we've been full time for a bit over five and a half years and already knew a lot and had learned a lot about RVs, we were even surprised at how much more we learned through those rental experiences about what works and what doesn't in that kind of a space. And we kind of were entertaining the idea of, well, what if we were to get something smaller? How small could we go? Would we go full-time in it or would we park our big one somewhere as a home base and then have a smaller one? So there are just so many options. And, and I think that's something that's, I think, really exciting is if you're willing to be really flexible about the type of RVs that you're open to, you can really have a quite a variance in price points and affordability too. Yeah, huge variance. And you can spend as little or as much as you want, even in the Class B category, which I think is a good probability for you that would feel comfortable. Yeah, I've taken a look at both the new and the used market, and I've realized that I mean it's a huge price range. I mean, in the so the for the huge. yeah for the so let's say for the pre-built um, you know off the lot class B RVs, and these are the ones I'm leaning towards because I think it's a it's a good mix between having more comfort, being able to stand up inside, maybe even having a full bathroom inside, but still fitting kind of fitting in a normal parking spot you know i think they go up to about you know the ones i'm looking at go up up to about 21 feet i think 19 feet is kind of the legal limit but you know american parking spots are pretty you know usually pretty big so if you're if you're going over by a foot or two it's not that big of a deal Uh, and it really isn't that big a deal i mean because a regular van is going to be there'll be no there'll be narrow enough to fit in almost any camp in any parking spot in a grocery store or anywhere and even parallel parking's not too tough if you go under 20 feet those those are still very comfortable we have friends that are two people have couples living in these vans and are getting along so if you're a solo traveler it's pretty i think it's very reasonable to think you can live in one of those and what we find in america in general parking lots are usually quite large and there's often a um and, and on the edge of the parking lot, there's often a way that you can hang the tail over over the like an embankment, like, like an a embankment grassy or grassy area, area or, or something, uh, some some type of landscaping block or whatever. You can hang the tail over it so it'll even fit into a lot of those spaces. You have an enormous flexibility. If you stay under 20 feet, you can fit in virtually any camp, virtually any parking space anywhere. But that 22 and 24 foot range. You do lose a little bit of flexibility, but it's still amazing. You get amazing. a lot more livability. You can go more livability. a bit mm. bigger, especially if you're going to be living in it full time. And, and that's what we found. So in January, we, we flew up to New York. We visited some friends. They let us borrow their Class B Sprinter van. It's one of those airstream interstates. And it was how long was that? 20? That's a 22. 22 yeah. foot. And the friends that we talked about earlier, that two of them live full time, is a bit shorter. I think it's about 21 feet. Right. We could notice that one foot of difference in the same, essentially the same van was huge 
Yeah, it is. Made a huge difference. We do have some friends that live in a 19-footer, though. But I just, what's funny is how that came about (laughs) is that they actually had a larger RV like ours. They they were going to, they bought the smaller one to do some little getaways from their bigger RV. And then someone offered them a price for their big RV that they couldn't say no to. And so they just sold it and then moved into the small one. And it's worked out for them for about six months or so. So we'll see if they can do that long term though it's one thing to travel in one but it, like Jules said it's if you're trying to live in it as your full time thing they've been loving it I would highly recommend you get an actual bathroom in it and a kitchen so being able to stand up I mean to me the stealth idea of having something so small that like that Nissan you mentioned being able to stand up is huge it's um, I, I just I can't put a price on that <laughs> but you remember Johnny you're talking to two people that are pretty spoiled by having a big yeah big but you know like renting, he, that's why renting such a good idea you it is literally but, try them on for size you know Johnny's you know you're making the reference how you live out of your backpack but you live out of your backpack in an apartment so right. be mindful of the fact that if you're trying to have something that you're going to live extended periods in it's going to want to have some creature comfort just a good place to sit bathroom so that you can use it when you're there when the time comes and uh, <laughs> yeah because nobody really wants to be using public facilities anymore and i think that's a really important point is um with what's been happening in the world with covid it's actually been challenging for a lot of van lifers that typically will rely on visiting gyms to work out and to use the showers so because of the gyms have been closing mm-hmm. they haven't been able to do that so there have been a lot of them that have ended up having to park in friends or family's driveways or which rent is doable or rent or Airbnbs. Like yeah. so you know nobody knows what the rest of the year is going to look like for for travel i mean things are starting to open up here now in the united states there's a lot of talk about you know there being a resurgence of infections and having to close things close things down again i think we've all just learned that we have to be flexible and have a backup plan and work out what that is but but i think having Having a, a van that has your own bathroom in it, where you don't have to rely on gyms and public facilities, because you don't want to be doing that right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. huge, huge benefit to yeah. that. Yeah, I saw that as well, and I and I noticed a lot of full time van lifers had to stop traveling. They had to, you know, find yeah. you know an Airbnb or a friend's house to stay at, and a lot of them were struggling because a lot of them, you know, financially they just you know they turned to van life because it was cheaper than a normal life. A lot of them didn't have any savings. So they were kind of in a hard situation. And that kind of reminds me actually of the pro, you know, the, the similarities and the, the differences between like a backpacker traveler and like a, you know, like an expat or a digital nomad where here in Sri Lanka, there was a lot of backpackers, a lot of surfers that came kind of on a shushing budget and they got stuck here. And, you know, they were mm-hmm. staying in dorms or staying in, you know, these shared spots that when they're traveling, it's not a big deal. You know, they're like, yeah, I don't mind sharing a room with eight people and sharing a, a kitchen and a bathroom with you know a bunch of people <laughs> but once they got locked down here for one or two months they're like i can't do that you know i can't I, you know, like physically cannot like i need some space i need some comforts and luckily you know i'm more of a long-term slow mad you know I, I normally rent an airbnb or a nice place for two or three months at a time so my life hasn't changed much you know i, I literally have a comfortable you know you know queen or king size bed and you know ac like a, like a little office space and i'm like okay well you know it sucks to not have to travel but I'm 100% okay. We were actually in exactly the same boat, Johnny. We were in a a town called Quartzsite, Arizona, which is known as... It's only got a population of about 3,500 people year-round, but it's a mecca for RVers in 
in January where they have these big shows and they'll get a million RVs there in a year and there'll be literally hundreds of thousands of RVs parked out there in the desert off-grid boondocking. And we happened to be there when the the shelter-in-place order came through and we just thought, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just stay here a bit longer, no problem. We had to go and dump our tanks, fuel and that kind of thing. But really, it was just life as normal for us. If we didn't mm-hmm. log on to social media or the news and see what was happening in the world, I mean, we would have just been out there with the cactus and the hummingbirds and no, <laughs> no idea that the world's falling apart. And, and it really didn't – we actually even wrote a blog post about it, that, that 13 unexpected benefits of living in an RV during the pandemic because so little of our life really changed. You know, we, we didn't – we weren't in a town near big cities and dealing with – there was – I don't know what it's like where you are in Sri Lanka, but here in a lot of the U.S., the bigger cities in particular, there was a lot of panic buying by the crowds for their toilet paper and canned goods and all of that kind of a thing. I'm sure that made world headlines. But we didn't encounter any of that, just what we saw online and social media. Yeah, and with an RV, whether it's a van or an RV, you have so much flexibility in where you travel because you can just pick up and go at almost any time. Um, There's some travel restrictions right now, but if you're, especially if you have a stealthier RV, there's a, a lot of areas you could just drive to, saying that you're driving through there to go somewhere else, and it's, and you can stealth camp. Like I said, there's a, it's a lot of freedom. I think people don't realize just how much freedom we really have. Even in this time with reduced freedoms, we still have far more than the people who live in their traditional homes or if like your friends that have those situations in those bunk houses. My goodness, I would be very difficult for. Someone like us, uh, we're used to having our own space and being able to travel freely. So, yeah, there's uh, it's been a big adjustment time, but it's what's been good about that is I think it helps people ask questions about their life and what they do and don't want and help them avoid those situations going forward because they've been forced to ask themselves some questions they didn't previously ask. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And actually, because of you know the whole inter- you know international travel lockdown, I've had a lot of my nomad friends think about you know RV or van life because they're back in the U.S. They're you know staying at their parents' house or friend's house where they're renting a place, and they're <laughs> I want to travel, I want to do something, but international travel might not be a possibility anytime soon. And if there is, there might be a lot of restrictions. And maybe this is a good time to start you know traveling within the U.S. And that's actually what I would do. I think if I was you know back home in the U.S. right now, I'd probably buy a van tomorrow and say, all right, well, you know, let me just try this for a few years and see if I like it. And maybe I'll start traveling internationally again. Maybe I'll just be happy doing this. Well, and I love what you've done here by being <coughs> a, a slow mat, as you decided, you know, in traveling around if you have. Because one of the things that Julie and I talk about is that you stepped out of the box. You know, most of society lives in this box and this they think that they have this contained reality of what the world is like but once you've stepped out of the box it's very easy for you to see that there's thousands or millions of other boxes that you can go try out you've been trying out sri lanka and you're trialing out your somad movement but you can just look at this van life or rv life as another box another way to go try it out knowing that if it doesn't work out for you you can easily jump back out of that and try another box so I think that's really cool that you're at least in that set. That's one of the things that Julie like to Julie and I like to identify is that people have made that jump and um, into that different reality. And it's funny because I think there's so many different kind of subgroups that have made this jump, but we think we're so separate. I, I remember when I was in Thailand, you know, I would once in a while go to an expat meetup. 
and thinking on paper, we're very similar to the digital nomad, you know, uh, groups. So in Chiang Mai, there's the Chiang Mai digital nomads, the Chiang Mai expats and retirees, and we're, we've both are people, you know, mainly from the U.S. or Europe or Australia who have moved to Thailand. Uh, a lot of us are, you know, living a very similar life, yet the actual, you know, groups feel like we're so different. But I, I think mm. there's a lot more similar similarities than than people give credit for. Yes and no. I mean, like we because we've got so many people. We've met thousands of people over the years, and we stay in RV parks. And we, you know, we go to a lot of events, and we boondock out in the desert, and we meet people everywhere. And and I think one of the things that we really like about the RV life, though, is there there is especially the full time RV life, which is different to people that are RVing extended travel or snowbirds or vacations. Is I think there's this common respect and understanding that we all did something a little unusual that stepped off the treadmill and did this because to our us it's so normal. I mean we've been married nine years, living in an RV for six, and in a regular stick and brick for three. So we've lived in an RV twice as long as we lived in a regular home. Yes. And everyone thought that was crazy. Not everyone, a lot of people. A few people thought we were pretty cool doing it, but there were still quite a few people thought we were crazy. But now it's becoming so more common but but i think a lot of us that have chosen to do this have experienced some pushback from friends or family that feel like you're leaving them or that you're by you making a different choice they interpret it that you're disagreeing with their choice of living which is not the case it's like i'm just doing what i want to do it doesn't mean we think everyone should do it but but i think people eventually come around and and you kind of meet people and it's kind of like a kindred spirit and and the full-time rv community in particular and i know van life community even though we're not specifically part of that we have a lot of friends that are there's a real there is a bond I mean, mm. you know and you look out for each other if, so, if we've, we've been broken down or had something happen and there's always somebody to offer a hand and help out and try and help troubleshoot yeah we definitely love Very that supportive. about this supportive community for sure mm. yeah i definitely like that and let's actually talk kind of quickly about the differences between the van life community and the you know rv life community and 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 really i'm specifically talking about full-time because i'm glad you make that decision that distinction because you know even like within like the digital nomad or travel community if someone is just coming for two weeks or a month i don't even really consider them a you know uh, like ha- having the same lifestyle as, as us because they're basically on vacation <laughs> and, and same as if someone right. has an rv or a van that they you know take on a weekend trip or something they have a home base they have an apartment or house they have like a very normal life so you know really you know focused on the full-timers i see a i see a, a huge difference between the van life community and the rv community and, and even you know you guys before the interview you said you know like we're happy to talk about you know uh van life because we know about it but you know, we, we, like it is a different community. It is, and, and there's there's a one really big group. Uh, it's by Bob Wells. It's cheap. It's uh, what's cheap? RTR, RV, you know, rubber Tramp Rendezvous has a big event every year, and it's a that's a huge community. It's thousands. huge community, and they in a big part of their lifestyle, and especially in, they're a subset of even the van life movement. In that, it's all cheap like RV cheap living. living. It's it's called. It's very much focused on frugality, about being as living as inexpensively as you can. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of those people are what you were talking about before with they have their homemade rig that they set up and they might not even have a toilet. They might, you know, poop in a bucket or whatever. They, they have very, very simple basic RVs or um, vans or converted buses or converted cars. Yeah. We've seen people convert smart cars, Prius, anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they live out of cars. And there's a lot in that segment and it's all, like I said, about frugality and 
some of it's about being low resource use too. Some people mm-hmm. have a very environmental focus on it, but but we also uh, full timers is definitely a whether it be vegan life or RV life. Full time community and culture is very different, as you said, than vacationers. It's a and I think one of the things we've learned over the years too is that um, you know when you go into a campground or an RV park, I mean everyone's you're all the same. It's not like being in a neighborhood. Like some people live in gated communities or different parts of town, and there's different socioeconomic. Uh, you know, areas, and, and it, it doesn't seem like that as much in, in RV parks because you could have somebody here in an RV park that lives in a really, you know, $5,000 RV and someone could have been in a $500,000 RV and, and you wouldn't necessarily, or you could even both have a $50,000 RV and you wouldn't you wouldn't know. You know, like some of those, um, what's they're looking for, not barriers or something, are brought down because you're just somebody in RV or out there living the lifestyle. We all see the same sunsets. We all drive the same roads. We go go driving through the same national park. So there's not as many, um, I guess, exterior material ways to, to judge people on. But then over the years, I think I have noticed that it's still there. I think it's just part of it's society. It's just, reduced, it's just yeah. humanity. That's what people do. But, but um, you know, there are a lot of van lifers that are in that situation and RVers because they've been forced into that for economic reasons. A lot happened after the crisis, the economic crisis in 2008 and nine. A lot of people were forced into RVs or vans, and that's happening again now. I mean, so many people have lost their jobs, mm-hmm. and we see that happening a lot now as well. But, you know, that's one of the things, and we talk about this in our book, and everything that we do is try to show people that anyone can RV or a van, no matter what your budget is. So you can buy used and you can do a makeover or remodel yourself and, and you don't have to go crazy expensive with that. And it's probably best not to because these things depreciate. But, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, to give you an example, we, we bought our motorhome for 25000 two years ago. 20 years ago, this sold for 230000 which is 340000 in today's dollars, which is crazy money. But we bought it 20 years later for a tenth of that. But it's still got good bones, you know, it's still good quality and we're, Mark's really handy, so we're able to do the work ourselves and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, to Julie's point, though, any price point. People can get into this lifestyle at any price point, like your friends that are forced to move back into their parents' place. I mean, wouldn't take long to save up enough money to get an inexpensive van or vehicle to be able to get out there and hit the road. We, we had some friends who full-time RV'd in an RV they bought for, I think, $6,000. And it was a couple, and they did a full year in that. And um, I think they spent a few thousand in upgrades on it over the course of that year. But that's pretty inexpensive living. You know, some people might be in america it's probably not uncommon to see 500 or a thousand dollars or even two thousand dollars a month in rent how quickly can you purchase an actual rv if you're saving that kind of money yeah yeah definitely and i i have seen that i've looked at that route i think you know that is one thing that gets a lot of people excited about it and i think it's a good way to start but i also think of it you know very similar to you know budget living or budget backpacking where if you're spending less than you know ten thousand dollars for your your rv or your van you're probably going to be giving up a lot of creature comforts and from what i've seen like people who you know lived in a ten thousand dollar van for two years a lot of things that they complain about and the reason why they stopped doing it is because of you know of things like they get tired of their van always breaking down or they get tired of um, not being able to stand up straight or not having a bathroom or not having a full-time you know facility you know not having proper ventilation so when they cook you know it's you know they're always worried about that so for me i think if i was going to do full-time van or rv life 
life, I'd want something a bit more comfortable, a bit, you know, and I wouldn't go, you know, extreme. I wouldn't go and spend 150000 or $200,000 on a brand new uh, custom build or brand new off the, off the lot um, class B. But I think there is a, a happy point where you can have a reliable, comfortable place that with all the creature comforts, yet, you know, not, you know, but still have some of the savings of not living in an apartment for $2,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there definitely is, especially because you can finance them. Uh, it's, you, it's not uncommon to see uh, financing for an RV, especially if it's less than five years old, to get them for 15-year financing. Your, your payment is only a few hundred dollars a month. We had a gosh, what did we have? We on our we had a two-year-old RV, and it was a $90,000 RV, and our payment was less than $600 a month. So I mean, that was a long-term lease, a long-term note, and it was a depreciating asset, but. You know, to the point of if you're being good with your, the rest of your money and saving it, you can actually get in that lifestyle in a really good quality RV for not a lot of money out of the pocket per month. It's kind of comparable to rent. That's mm-hmm. how we look at it. You know, yeah. look at a lot it of people rent. look at rent as being dead money or throwing it away. But, you know, we all look at it like you and I'm sure a lot of your community look at we're having experiences because a lot of people that are living the regular life and trying to get ahead financially are really aiming to do what we're all doing, which is go travel and have freedom. That's what's up, but we're all doing it now. And so I think, um, yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about what you're talking about is especially being a, an international digital nomad is you have a base, you have a home base. And we've, we've got some friends, I don't know if you know them, they're a digital nomads, Mike and, and from Honey Trek. And they okay. have a van here in the U.S. And they are, they've written a book with um, National Geographic, beautiful book. And they have a van here in the U.S. And they just, but they do a lot of international travel. And they put old buddy, I think it's a 1985 something or other. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but he's taken them up to Alaska and back and all around the country. And they put it in storage in Austin and flew to Germany for one of the big travel events. And it all got cancelled. This has all happened. COVID happened right when they got there. They ended up stranded in Poland for a couple of months. I think they're coming back next week. But they've been there for about three months, stranded in Poland in another rental RV in a van and they have to drive every day to charge the batteries up so they have power Whoa. to charge their laptops and things. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, they the point is they have a van here that's their base that's just in storage. So they might pay, I don't know what they pay, maybe a buck a month in storage. But it's it's a home and they've got stuff and they can leave things in it. And when they get off a, off of a plane then their homes they're waiting for them you know so so i think and funnily enough we had talked about going to europe and buying a second smaller rv a van like a class b in europe and leaving it over there so that when we wanted to we could go put our motorhome in storage go to europe and then you know travel around in that in that van but i think that plan's on hold for a while it's on hold for now but but it's nice to think about but that lifestyle that'd be a pretty amazing lifestyle but on a budget that would be less than a lot of people would be paying for their regular mortgage at their traditional home that stays in one place at all times so you know, if you're being creative, you're thinking outside the box, you can really create a lifestyle that you love. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you brought up the, the fact that it is like paying rent or it, it is a depreciating asset. You know, a lot of people, you know, buy not so much, you know, va- uh, vans or RVs thinking it's going to go up, but a lot of people buy things like tiny homes thinking it's going to go up. But the actual, you know, uh, you know, home that you're living in is a depreciating asset. It really, people forget that really mm-hmm. it's mostly the land when you buy something that, that goes up. So yeah, if you it- bought a exactly. piece of land and parked your tiny home, your RV, that can be an asset. But yeah, the, the, the rest of it is It's like still going to depreciate rent. the house part of it. Mm-hmm. Anything yeah. with wheels depreciates. Cars, yeah. motorcycles, you know, homes, uh, yeah, 
everything everything yeah. with wheels depreciates. RVs, definitely. And I really, really like to drive that point home because I think a lot of people forget and it's so easy to go into an RV dealer and they're very good at selling you and like on something and making it look well, when they ask what's your budget, that's what they'll do. They say, Well what what can you afford on a monthly payment? And then, then they massage the numbers to show you the monthly payment and then people say, Oh, I can afford that but you have to look at the big picture of what it's costing you in the long term with the financing because when you finance something for 10, 15, 20 years, might only be low interest, might only be less than 5%, but you look at that on a depreciating asset and see how upside down you are one, two, three, five years later, that that can get painful. And so and if a first-time RV is, we, we almost always recommend as often as possible to buy used just because you save on some depreciation. And frankly, your first RV will teach you the most. And so it's the one that's going to give you the most experience to know what you really want so that if you do end up wanting to get something else newer down the track, you're you're making the right decision. It's re- There's so much to learn. It's really, really hard to, to nail it with your first purchase, really. Not impossible, yeah. but definitely tougher. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I've literally been researching this for three years, and I'm still learning things every day. But it's also kind of a part of the fun. I think it's exciting to kind of learn as we go. It is a alternative lifestyle and, and there are pros and cons because a lot of people don't realize that even if you buy a house you're probably paying rent on the interest on, on your money now even if you buy the house the the you know unless you bought it in cash and you have zero payments but even then you have you know property uh, taxes yeah utilities. fees, all these things that mm-hmm. end up costing often as much or more than you would spend you know either renting an apartment in a cheap cheaper place like sri lanka or thailand or rent you know or you know, buying or or um, or owning a an RV or a van. It's I think when we buy a house, we almost always want something much bigger and fancier than what we need, and and that money that we ha- would spend on it. And, and I went through this this process because I was saving up to buy a house. And when I really sat down and did the math, I realized you know what? Even if I can afford to buy this in cash, it's this is money that I could have been invest. You know, I could have invested, and this could have earned me money. And I don't need to live in a you know in a three bedroom two bath house which is probably the minimum size that somebody would ever buy yeah i agree totally (laughs) people buy way more house than they need yeah it's so funny now having lived in an rv for six years what was our townhome was it was about 1800 square feet feet and we just when we think about not being in an rv we we the only properties we look at are very small we just it's hard to imagine wanting to be in a large home because then you have to furnish it and then you have to maintain it. it. It's just that much more to take care of and, and, or heating and cooling. We have friends in Colorado who spend $500 a month on heating and cooling. That's, um, that's insane to me, but, um, that's the lifestyle they live. That's right. Yeah, it it really is. And, and I think that's, that's the next thing I really want to talk about is the cost of living full time in an RV. What do you guys typically spend in a month or kind of averaged out throughout the year? Well, also, you mean just in general idea, because this is like asking how long is a piece of string? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're like, we know people that live on as little as 1500 a month in the RV life. And we know people who spend 10,000 a month. And but most people sort of if you're mindful of your money and not overcommitted financially in the RV, spend you know somewhere in between. So probably in the three to five thousand a yeah. month. But we find a lot of people who transition from traditional lifestyle into an RV lifestyle spend similar to what they did in their regular lifestyles, unless they get into the lifestyle with a specific goal. 
Uh, if you're getting into the lifestyle with a goal of being frugal, then you can drop your expenses substantially. If you're on the other end of the spectrum and you've lived your traditional life and you're wanting to have a big time, then that's when you're going to spend way more. But we generally see people spend similar to what they did in their previous life because um, there's ways to do it every which way about it. And one of the things that Julie and I point out regularly is that one of the biggest blessings of this lifestyle is the flexibility of it in that a lot of your expenses are variable. You know, when you live in a traditional lifestyle, a lot of your f- expenses are fixed. Your you know, they're going to be the same every month. But on this lifestyle, things like fuel and where you stay are some of the bigger expenses. But you can adjust those up or down depending on how you travel and therefore changing your budget. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think it's very similar to living internationally as well, where if I chose to fly more often, you know, that's a big expense. Or if I chose to live in like a luxury condo versus living like a local would, you know, it can literally, you know, swing my budget from, you know, I have digital nomad friends who spend, you know, $5,000 a month on the on the high end, even in a cheap country like Thailand, while I have, you know, wow. budget friends that spend $500 a month. And it can, you know, it literally varies and, you know, they can live in the same neighborhood. You know, and then we're ironically we're eating sometimes at the same you know restaurants. And I look at you know my buddy Sam, uh, you know, and I'm like, how do you even spend five thousand dollars in Chiang Mai? Like, I I wouldn't even know how to do that. (laughs) I don't know how. I've got some ideas, but I don't want to talk about it on air. <laughs> well, for him, it's a big wine habit, which is funny because okay. Thailand's like it's it's hard to get good wine in, in Thailand. So he like he buys it from this importer, and you know that's you know half of his budget. And I'm like, you know, you could just not do that. And and I think that's to your point of like how much does it cost to live this lifestyle and, and what Mark said. It's like you know you're going to end up spending pretty much what you're spending now because we all have our own standards of living how we like to eat. You know, we know some people that will go out to a cheap restaurant and they'll split a meal between them. And we'll have others who go out and we'll have two courses and a, each and a couple of glasses of wine. Really different, you know, scenario at the end of the day. Same with RVs. I mean, you can get something newer and you can get something... It's just buying older. Ours is older too. It's twenty years old. But we've had some. We, we've, even though we got it for a good price, we've had some hefty repair bills. One just actually uh, in March that uh, was definitely <laughs> gave us some pause to say, "Wow, we we really that hurt." Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you, that's one of the risks you take when you buy an older unit. To your point, some of your friends get off the road because it's costing them too much in repairs. And uh, but you know, you you can buy some good ones out there. Some people buy RVs and have them for a long time, and they take really good care of them, maintain them well. And and you know, you listen to the story of the per- you know if you can buy it direct from an, a seller instead of a dealer, and you get to hear the story of the RV, that'll tell you a lot about the condition and that can really have a big impact on them on your repair bills yeah I can, I can definitely see that and you know and i was looking at you know the, the the different vans and rv options out there i remember you know at, at first you know for the, probably the first year i thought every you know every van every rv was that perfect instagram photo you know this you know brand new luxurious place <laughs> <laughs> and then I, yeah and it's funny because then i joined a facebook group a van life facebook group and i was so disenchanted thinking oh my god like the like most of these people look like they're homeless and they're living out of their cars and it was a, a shock to me it was like it was such a a wide range and now, now i realize there's people kind of 
in all ends of the spectrum. You know, there's the ultra frugal people who, you know, are, you know, are doing either out of necessity or, you know, they're trying to live as cheap as possible. And then there's the people who say, you know what, I, I, you know, still earn money where I, ha- you know, I have money coming in and I want to live a comfortable life, but I still want to have the freedom and flexibility of traveling. And that's kind of the category we fall into really, because when we hit the road, Mark had a job. And so he, he had a good income coming in and, you know, I was able to start our RV Love website and blog and YouTube channel on the side. So we didn't have to rely on me to be earning um, the money. We're all self-funded by Mark's job. And then eventually about three years later, we, you know, he quit the job and, and then we were on our own. And then we had to find a way to, you know, being self-employed. And, and that's when we launched our online school, RV Success School, and went on and wrote our book, Living the RV Life. And so, you know, we've we've sort of grown and evolved through all of this this experience and and you know we try to keep our expenses down because you know we're we're um you know doing it on our own but yeah still trying to save for a day when we don't have to work but the beauty of it is that we still still do have income coming in as being digital nomads like you mm -hmm. yeah and it's it's nice being able to work you know remotely while in the u.s because i would imagine that's a much easier sell to your employer than saying, hey, I'm going to move to Thailand and I'm going to be in a completely different time zone. <laughs> well, it was easy, Johnny, because he didn't tell them. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Well, actually, you did. I did tell him, but I didn't tell most of the folks at the company, just a couple of key people that I had that I chose to, but a lot of people did not tell them that we were doing this lifestyle. And then it was six or eight months before I even mentioned it to most people at, at the work. And because they they said, oh, I heard through a rumor that you're in an RV. I can totally tell. I'm like, oh yeah. How long have you noticed? Oh, it's like this whole this whole week. I'm like, oh really? Well, it's been nine months. So but you never had but, that. But it's it's just it's fun, and it is to your point. It is an easier transition when you're in the states because it's easier for people to understand. But Julia and I have played with that too. We've gone to Australia when I still had my regular job. We went to Australia without telling anybody. Um, and just meant that I had to work um, graveyard shift to be able to work my regular <laughs> hours, but I didn't. But you can do it, and it's just as long as you have a job that you can do remotely, it opens up so many options for you. And I think there's going to be a huge growth in that um, in America, and I imagine around the world with so many people in these stay-at-home orders that companies have had a new awareness that their employees can be productive with working from home, and that they don't have to spend as much on their expensive corporate rent and buildings when they don't have all the people in them. So I think you're going to see a big growth in that segment of society in the next few years. Yeah, I, I definitely see it. And I think that's one of the, the few good things that have actually come, come out of this epidemic is how many companies have been forced to let their employees work remotely, the cost savings that they've seen, and actually some of the, the productivity uh, of their employees you know, have gone up. You know, and, and maybe it doesn't work for every single person or every single company, but for a lot of people, they, they realize this is an option. And I think the employees themselves are not going to want to go back to having to commute, You know, especially the people that have, that have to drive an hour to work in traffic, an hour back home now that they can work from home or for from a local coffee shop or maybe from their rv or van they realize i don't want to i don't want to go back to that that normal cubicle life that's where we're at we couldn't do it like mark mm. so good. you know we stepped out of that box there and we one thing to leave the traditional life and then hit the road in an rv that was step one but he still had a traditional well he had a job for a company but he could do it remotely then the next phase of the journey three years later was leaving that and, and then creating our own 
uh, income. And what was a huge advantage of that with, with the pandemic was so many people lost their jobs or their businesses just dry. What we realized is that because we have multiple streams of income, you know, that they may not all be huge, but when they, they all add up to something nice and healthy, then if any one of them starts to contract, then it's not like you've lost everything, like people who are just dependent on a single job as a source of income. So we actually feel more secure in our um, in our income now, now that we've yeah. got more control over it. And isn't it ironic that when, you know, maybe when you first started traveling or, or working for yourself, a lot of people, their fear was the instability of it, you know, that, you know, to have a stable, secure life, you need to have a, a fixed job and a fixed address. Yet now it almost seems like we're more secure. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting irony because that was how I grew up. I grew up in an environment where I was, my brothers and I all gathered the lesson that you want to have a corporate job with pensions and the whole stability thing and then that's just been a facade and there are so many people that we've known or that met that have lost all those jobs and to Julie's point what we do now feels so much more stable having multiple small streams adding up instead of one stream and and it's also a bit of a prison too when you have that quote unquote stability of having the one job that's your primary breadwinner they end up having a lot more power and control over you than you realize when because you're always in fear of losing that precious job and so you work on reasonable hours or you do things that you wouldn't normally do you give up on going to your kids events you give up on a lot of things because the almighty quote-unquote stability of that job and it's it's really interesting for me after three years of doing our our own thing is just to realize what a facade that is you know that having our own business has been very freeing yes we still work a lot of hours sometimes but we have the choices that we make and we get to choose the hours we work we get to choose how intensely we work and we also get to choose where we do that work from and that's a lot of freedom and some options that most people don't have and only dream of. And we're very fortunate and uh, we're very, very glad that we've made those moves. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm super happy to hear that. I am curious, what is it like working out of your RV? Well, you know, like we were saying earlier, we, our RV is pretty comfortable at 300 square feet. We actually have two fully dedicated workspaces that that's, those are not working from the dining table and not, not, working, not from working from bed We or, from just an uncomfortable chair, we have fully ergonomic, two full ergonomic spaces that we work from. And then when work's done, we can close the computer and step away from it and just be in our regular living environment. Yeah, and I think that's a huge benefit of having a bigger, you know, Class A or even a bigger Class C RV or van, you know, or like the schooly conversions, the school bus conversions that, that some people do. But what are some of the downsides of having such a big a rig? Well, I mean, there's a little bit of maneuverability um, factor. You know, you can't get into tight spaces. And uh, it, for us, it's important to have a secondary vehicle that we tow behind to do run errands with because it's it's not very easy to go run this big coach into a grocery store parking lot to pick up supplies. So you'd want to have, if you have a big RV like this, you want to have at least a bicycle or a scooter or something that you can go run some errands with to pick up groceries so you don't have to move your bigger RV but uh, that's one of the only downsides, I think, is just that maneuverability. Well, you, you, may, you may need to get a special driver's license. So, right, some states, um, yeah. it, It's different from state to state. So, you know, in, in California, you you can't drive over 40. Yeah, a coach this size requires special licensing in a lot of states, um, So, and including the where where we are. So you do, you do need that if you go this big. But 
there's definitely advantages of the smaller ones with the flexibility, but you have to break camp with your whole RV every time. So it's just, it's always pros and cons. Yeah, first RV was 35 feet and 10 inches, so it's 36 feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was great. We didn't specifically want or need to go bigger. It just so happened that this one that we fell in love with was four feet bigger, and we knew that the, the trade-offs of going that much bigger were, were really negligible. Yeah, really insignificant. But, but if you're somebody who wants to go and stay a lot in national parks or stay in a lot of, uh, you know, like the California state parks, which have restrictions on length, then you want to go to, you're going to want to go smaller. But we can still get into quite a large percentage of, of national park campgrounds in this RV. Yeah. But to be honest, we don't even do it that much because the internet's usually no good. We always need right. internet. So for us, having good internet connectivity is actually more important than having a big place to park our RV. Mm. And and what type of places do you normally like stay at? Like and and, and how often are you actually even in a big city? Well, it depends on what you classify as a big city. You know, we're in Colorado Springs. You know, there's probably a couple hundred. Well, there's probably a million people in this general metro area, but we're not in the main part of the city. We're in a suburb area, and you know, sometimes we're completely out in very rural boondocking areas or out in open land. We rarely, rarely go into a large city of more than a million population. Um, not with the RV. Not with the RV. We. We liked we the longer we do this the more we prefer smaller towns just because we like the feel we like the more relaxed pace and generally there's lower lower costs in the smaller cities as well bigger cities usually raise costs on most everything whether it be food or fuel or anything so and it's there we don't like the buzz of the big cities either but we mix it up yeah, I can definitely see that. So I think there's a lot for people to think about and explore. And I think in this episode, we've really you know touched on a lot of kind of the, the overview. But if people wanted to learn more about RV life and how to get started, how can you help them? Yeah, well, go to our website, rvlove.com, and you can find pretty much find everything there. That's a great place to start. Um, check out our book, Living the RV Life, Your Ultimate Guide to Life on the Road. We've got a lot of different, 16 different RVers in there sharing the different ways that they RV. And there are some van lifers in there as well as some, some RVers, you know, families, solos, like all walks of life in there. And that's where I would recommend people go check us out and find us on social media. We're at RV Love Travel on Instagram. and, and uh, Well, and what's really great YouTube. right now, we're actually just about to do a summit. It's called Hit the Road RV Summit. And that website's Hit the Road RV Summit, and that's going to be happening on June 16th, and it's free registration. So if you go to that website, you can sign up for free. It's going to be an all-day event with tons of information to get people fast-tracked onto the lifestyle. And so I would highly recommend you check RV that out. 14 RV experts yeah. all speaking. We've got authors, bloggers, YouTubers, RV experts. So it's going to be really fun. It's free. You can get a free ticket. Hit the hit the road RVsummit.com. Awesome. And that's all online so people can view it, you know, even if they're in Thailand or some in the world right now. It's virtual. Yes. Thank you for asking that, Johnny. It's actually a virtual event. <laughs> so we just pulled this together this, uh, this month in May, realizing there's a lot of people out there now that are realizing an RV is real or a van is really the only safe viable way to travel for the rest of this year at least and and i think a lot of people just like you are thinking maybe this is the time i go do this great american road trip i've wanted to do because there's so much to see here it's it really is we've been through the whole country 50 states some of them multiple times and we still feel like we've just scratched the surface so there's so much to do and what we wanted to do was now everyone's itching to get out there but there is a lot to learn so if we can help fast track that for them with some great information for some great people then you know we can give them some tips to get out there and they're not going 
flying completely blind, at least they, they're still always going to learn on the road, but at least you can get some really important tips up front and, you know, free get a free ticket and come along, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Yep, I love it. That's perfect timing because this, this episode uh, is going to be released early June. So if you guys are listening <clears throat> and you guys are subscribed to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, you'll hear this in plenty of time before the Hit the Road RV Summit, and you can learn from Mark, Julie, as well as all their guests. I think that's really amazing, and I'm excited for it because I, I've i been shopping for uh, a slightly used RV. Uh, I'm looking at a 2015 or newer Winnebago Trivago Class B. Have, have you guys seen these on the roads at all? Nice. We actually have friends that have that. And yeah. they will be speaking yeah. at the summit. Chris and Cherie <laughs> from Technomadia, they run the RV uh, Mobile Internet uh, Resource Center. And they uh, they actually have a Travado, and it's a 59G. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they actually live on a boat. So they've got a, a bus out in Arizona. A vi- <laughs> yeah, they have all three. They've got a vintage bus out in Arizona. They've got a van in Florida, and they've got a boat in Florida. So they are true digital nomads, been on the road for – 13 years. And, and we have uh, another friend who lives in who lives full time in that similar size that similar van to the Travato mm-hmm. though. So we do we have a few. Right? Yeah, so that will be speaking actually. So I think that'll be a direct topic that you'd be interested to hear from is you know their experiences in all the different kinds of RVs that they have lived in and you know the pro- they started out two of them full time in the tiny little uh, teardrop mm-hmm. trailer. So uh, they've 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 done it all, and they've really yeah got a lot of experience to share. So we're really excited by the lineup that we have. These are people that have really got awesome content, and we hand selected every single person who is in the lineup, and uh, we're really excited to share them with everyone. That is awesome. I'm looking forward to this. If you guys listening are interested in learning a bit more about RV life and uh, learning from these experts, check out the summit. I'll have a link to it in the show notes of Travel Like a Boss podcast episode 249. Mark. Julie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Johnny. Great. It's Thanks, been great chatting. All right, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really fun for me to explore the similarities and differences between digital nomads, RV lifers, you know, full-time RVers, van lifers. And I really think that the digital nomad community can really expand by thinking of ways of working remotely and traveling, you know, whether it's in our own country, in the U.S., around Europe, maybe around South America, and having kind of a hybrid between having a home base or a permanent residence, as well as still having the flexibility of traveling. If you guys want to discuss van life and RV life more you can join the Travel Bosses Facebook group just look for Digital Nomad Travel Bosses on Facebook or go to travellikeabosspodcast.com and click the Facebook group link there sign up for the email list to get updates and special invites to things like that as well as instant notifications whenever I attend these awesome events whether it's online or in person so you can get to know uh, about them coming up uh, as soon as I hear about them as soon as I register so you can as well because I know a lot of you are listening to this podcast a little bit later. So if you've enjoyed uh, today's episode and you want to learn more about RV life, go ahead and sign up for the summit. It's completely free uh, if you watch it live. Just go to nomadsummit.com slash RV. That way you can use my link to register. Uh, it's also going to be in the show notes. So this is 249, episode 249 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode as well as the others, make sure you subscribe and tell a friend. Screenshot it, share it with a friend, share it in a group. And if you really want to help, please go to the iTunes store or the review section of wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. It really helps other people find the Travel like a boss podcast uh you know we've gotten lots of reviews in the beginning but in 2020 we would love some more so please please 
please take a moment and leave a review. Uh, this week, I want to thank Nicholas Rosen, who's actually a Patreon of my other podcast, Invest Like a Boss. And he wrote me saying, thanks so much for your email. I'm just getting started listening to this podcast and travel like a boss. Johnny, you're a freaking rock star. I don't know even know where to begin. I stumbled across your podcast, Travel Like a Boss, a couple months ago and decided to listen from the beginning. Your show and this show are incredible, f- filled with amazing content, interesting guests, and so much insights. So thank you so much. I'm glad that you enjoy the Travel Like a Boss podcast as well as the Invest Like a Boss podcast, my other one that I host with my co-host Sam. And thanks for being a Patreon. We really appreciate that. Uh, if any of you are interested in being a Patreon for Travel Like a Boss, let me know because I haven't set one up yet, but I'd be open for that. Let me know what kind of perks you would want for us to do that, uh, for me to do that. But really, I would just appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you hang out. So thanks so much for listening and see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.